are back for the 2023 Formula One season, which will begin March 5th in Bahrain. There are new drivers, new regulations, new schedule. We're going to dive into all of it on this episode of the Overtake F1 Podcast or 2023 Formula One season preview. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for joining us. It is our opening podcast of the season. This is our third year with race reviews, previews, analysis of Formula One. Glad you could be with us. If you've liked what we've done in the past, I'm continuing to urge you to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on all sorts of avenues. Also, if you like what we you hear, please leave us a five-star review because it does help us grow. And if you could share the podcast, that would be great. We are continuing to grow this year in and year out, and I'm hoping that the third season here of The Overtake will be better than ever. And I hope the season will be better than ever because last year was best remembered for one thing, and that's the dominance of Max Verstappen. He won 15 of the 22 races last season, and he cruised to the Drivers' Championship, had it wrapped up by Japan. Red Bull cruised to the Constructors' title. They had that wrapped up at the U.S. Grand Prix. It was a season similar to Jeff Gordon in the NASCAR circuit back in 1998. He won 13 of the 33 events that season. But if you're keeping it within the umbrella of Formula One, this was on the level of Michael Schumacher winning 13 of 18 back in 2004. Now, if you're going by percentage, Schumacher took 72% of the races that year. And last season, Verstappen won 68%. So very, very similar in terms of the historical domination that Max Verstappen had. But athletes dominating their sport is a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you are watching something historic. Whether you're rooting for that athlete or not, you are seeing something usually unprecedented or very, very rare. But on the other side of it, it's that the competitive aspect just kind of goes away. And this came after Formula One had one of its best seasons ever in 2001, controversy and all, no matter what side of the Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Abu Dhabi, Michael Massey debate you're on, you can't deny, even if you were let down by what happened at Abu Dhabi, that it was a really competitive, thrilling, exciting, edge-of-your-seat season that was going down the stretch. When you compare it to what happened in 2022, yeah, it's kind of a letdown. But it did cement Verstappen as one of the all-time great Formula One drivers with that year. Because I think all great athletes need a dominating period of time, not just a simple season, a period of time. So winning a title or two is not where you make your mark. It's championships that you take from, where you just take out everybody. You think of Tiger Woods, you think of Michael Jordan, Schumacher, Gordon and NASCAR, and now Verstappen. You're talking about individual sports, individuals that have dominated their sport to such a level, that's where you make your mark. And in 2022, this was the second championship for Verstappen, but it now cements him as one of the all-time greats. It's going to put it, even if he never wins a race again, you'll talk about a period of time where Verstappen had two out of two. It'll be, it'll be very similar to other dominating eras that athletes had. That's how big winning 15 out of 22 races was last season for the Red Bull driver. So now what are we looking forward to in 2023? Well, I got five things that I'm keeping a lookout for, whether I'm excited about them or not. So here we go. One, Lewis Hamilton's bounce back year. Are we going to see it? Well, the seven-time world champion who had zero wins last year bounce back and compete for championship number eight. Well, he came on strong towards the end of the season, and he was starting to come into some form. You could kind of see it at the U.S. Grand Prix, but it was his teammate George Russell that got Mercedes their only win of the season in Brazil in the penultimate race of the season. 
It was a real struggle for Mercedes right from the get-go, but they did manage a third place in the Constructors' Championship. Hamilton, however, finished sixth in the Drivers' Championship. So put it this another way, because sixth in the Drivers, well, what does that really mean? Well, put it in this context. He was the last of the big three six drivers from those teams, right? Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes. Of those six drivers, he finished sixth out of those. Russell... Pure talent, right? We all can agree with that. Pure talent. He'd been waiting forever all of those years at Williams to get into that Mercedes ride. And he had a pretty good season because the team did struggle with the car. It was porpoising all over the place. But remember, he had that stretch run at the beginning of the season where in nine straight races, the first nine races of the season, he finished in the top five. But there's going to be all sorts of eyes on a rejuvenated Hamilton who signed his contract and was looking to put Mercedes back on top. But, but here's the thing. When one light shines so bright, another has to dim. And that's why Hamilton's season is going to be watched. Is he an aging champion ready to see the spotlight shine on somebody else? Or is there one last push to claim another title? Because I think Russell in the end is going to have a better year. But how competitive is Hamilton going to be in a new world of Max Verstappen and Red Bull. Yeah, Lewis Hamilton has had fights before, no doubt. Nico Rosberg, for example, he's had fights before. But we are now seeing sort of an era develop. We're seeing the emergence of a megastar, a dominating presence in the sport. And again, when you have that much light, others have to lose their light. And Hamilton is now ready to give that up. So pay attention this season to where Lewis Hamilton is at a variety of places on the grid and on the podium in the, in the host, hoisting a trophy, not hoisting a trophy and like all those things that happen throughout the season to see whether or not he's going to give Max Verstappen and Red Bull a competitive fight. Number two, new drivers, new drama. We had a lot of changes to the grid this season, and man, some of it got really, really dramatic. All right, let's start with some of the sad changes for 2023. One, Daniel Ricciardo is no longer racing in Formula One, or at least this season. I mean, he could be back. He has, always has a chance to come back with some team at some point, but not right now. He's a reserve driver for Red Bull. So the smiling, jovial Australian is without a ride. In his place at McLaren, Oscar Piastri, who had one of the most dramatic entrances into Formula One in a while. So he was going to race for Alpine in 2023 after it was announced that Fernando Alonso was going to leave the team to join Aston Martin. Piastri went to Twitter, remember this, and declined the report, which brought out a lot of bitterness from the team. And then the case was brought before the contract recognition board, and then it ruled against Alpine, and boom, uh, Piastri was a McLaren driver. And he did receive a lot of backlash in the way that went down. Alpine put a lot of money into his development and they were pretty excited to have the reigning F2 champion on the grid. So how did they replace him? Well, signing Pierre Gasly to follow, to join fellow Frenchman Esteban Ocon to join the team. Now, Gasly and Ocon, if you don't know this, they're not really good friends. All right. And they likely never will be good friends. But the team had hope that both drivers can put aside some differences and enjoy a good season together for Alpine. Each has a Formula One victory on their resume. So you're kind of hoping that the professionalism clicks in for these two youngsters, you know, two young guys that have good Formula One experience and they can elevate Alpine to some extent. Because Ocon and Fernando Alonso, they didn't get along at all. 
So now with Gasly moving over, the ladies an opening at AlphaTauri and the team was able to land one of the better stories of the 2022 season, Dutchman Nick DeVries. He gets his promotion to F1 after a great job filling in for Alex Almond at the Italian Grand Prix when he drove for Williams. He actually got that car into the points. Everyone was kind of buzzing. Like he was, he was like, this is pretty impressive. Like he not only beat Nicholas Latifi, he kind of crushed Nicholas Latifi and it was kind of eye-opening that maybe this kid should be elevated into a formula one car. So then Aston Martin, as we talked about earlier, landed Fernando Alonso because of the retirement of the legend of Sebastian Vettel. He walks away from F1, four world championships, millions of fans around the world. He was, uh, he was not only a championship driver. This is the one thing I want to miss about Vettel. He was a man who spoke on the causes he believed in. He really did walk the walk. He not just talked the talk. He walked the walk. You can agree with him on his issues. You can disagree with him on his issues. It didn't matter. I think I tend to find respect for people who believe in something, stand for something, speak out about something, and don't just put lip service to it. Man, this guy cleaned up the grandstands at Grand Prix. He really did believe in what he was saying. And I got to tell you, that I, mean, I, was, I had a lot, you know, I loved Sebastian Vettel. I've been following him since his early days in, in, in Red Bull, and I'm really, really going to miss him. But Nevertheless, the team didn't just replace this legend with some rookie coming up from Formula 2 or whatever. They got Fernando Alonso, and he will team up with Lance Stroll. Haas added Nico Hulkenberg to the team after parting ways with Mick Schumacher after two seasons. Hulkenberg will pair up with Kevin Magnussen. Those two have history. You know they do. But they are putting those aside like Ocon and Gasly for the good of the team. Hulkenberg returning to F1 had been a reserve driver for Aston Martin. And then uh, K-Mag had a pretty good season for Haas given that it's Haas 13th in the points last year. Uh, finally, Williams. Out is Lick Nicholas Latifi. And I know we're all going to miss Nicholas Latifi. I mean, come on. How... How sad is this? Uh, but in his place, alongside Alex Albon, will be American Logan Sargent, the first American on the grid since Alexander Rossi in 2015. And this is a very, very, very big deal. Um, I'm going to get to this a little bit later, but this is this is kind of overall a very, very important deal. Three, the schedule is absolutely insane. 23 races in 2023. That's easy to remember. The most ever in the series. And man, it is jam-packed. It's going to start in Bahrain March 5th. It ends on March 26th in Abu Dhabi. In between, there's some things you need to note. One, Azerbaijan is going to move to April 2nd rather than its June date. Uh, that moves the Emilia Romano Grand Prix at Imola to May 21st. Qatar is back on the schedule. Uh, they ran a race there at LaSalle in 2021, sort of in that sort of, we got to find some races to add to the calendar. We're still dealing with COVID in different parts of the world. So they added Qatar, but they raced it at LaSalle had never run an F1 race before 2021 drivers seem to like it. And if you're not familiar with the circuit, it's got two really great features. If you're not familiar with the circuit, if you don't really remember the circuit, um, it's got a lot of turns. It's a good MotoGP track, but as far as Formula One goes, there are two things on the on that track that I really, really want to emphasize. One, it's got this um, quad apex um, sort of sort of turn. It's very similar to turn eight in Turkey, but it kind of goes in the opposite direction. A lot of G forces there, and then it's got like a, a kilometer straight, huge straight 
down the front stretch into turn one. So when the drivers come off the final turn and they hit the straight, it is pure speed for, I, I think it's a little over kilometer. And it is a long, long straight uh, before you get back into turn one. So Qatar is back on the schedule and the United States has three races this year. All right, so they're going to be at the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin. That is going to be in late October. And they're going to be in Miami. That is going to be earlier in the season on May 7th. This is the second running of the Miami Grand Prix. This is the one around the football stadium in Miami Gardens, the fake harbor and all of that. Uh, but then the newest Grand Prix on the calendar is going to be run under the lights in Las Vegas. Now, this is not their first trip to Las Vegas. If you're kind of an old school watcher of Formula One or you know a little bit about its history, you know, in the early 80s, they ran in the Caesars Palace parking lot. It wasn't a very well-received event, but nevertheless, this one should be. It's going to be raced under the lights around the strip. The atmosphere should be great. It's the highest price ticket that is on the F1 calendar around the globe. They're selling like million-dollar packages, five-million-dollar packages at the hotels that come with paddock service and butler service and all of that. I mean, they're really marketing it to the bigwigs. But the U.S. Grand Prix, the Miami Grand Prix, and now the Las Vegas Grand Prix, three races on the calendar. Um, really not a surprise when you know how much Liberty Media wants to tap into more and more of the American market. Uh, the French Grand Prix is no longer on the schedule, and the Russian Grand Prix and the Chinese Grand Prix are not coming back anytime soon. So those are the issues with the schedule. Again, 23 for 23 uh, this upcoming season. All right, the fourth thing to watch out for this year, and that is sprint races. If you love them, we're getting more. If you hated them, we're getting more. So pick your poison. Um, if you loved them, and I understand why you did, because it allows the weekend to be a lot more competitive and it allows the weekend to have a little bit more excitement. Well, you're going to get a couple more. We did three in 2021. We did three in 2022. And now we're going to get six. Here are the races that are going to feature sprint racing for the weekend. Azerbaijan, Austria, Belgium, Qatar, Austin, and Brazil. Those are the six races. Now, if you're a newbie to Formula One and you just joined us, thank you. Stay with this podcast all season long because we try to dabble in explaining stuff to new people and trying to keep old veteran Formula One fans as entertained as well. But I'm going to go over this sprint race really quick if you're a newbie. So traditional qualifying is you're going to run three sessions. And then if you can get into the top 10 and get into Q3, then you battle in Q3 for time. And then if you get the fastest time you're on, you're going to start from pole position and then it's going to follow suit that way. So you got to get into each segment of qualifying. Well, they're still going to do that on sprint weekends, but they're going to do that on Friday. But instead of setting the, the, the grid uh, after qualifying, you're going to set it for the sprint race. And then the sprint race is going to be run, which is a third less than the, than the Grand Prix. And however cars finish, that's going to be the running order for Sunday's race. So there is some points to be awarded. They go down eight, I believe. They, they used to just do the top three. And then last year, they decided to add a little bit more world championship points to this. So I think if you finish in the top eight, you get points. So the big complaint is two things. One, it didn't feel necessary. Qualifying is a pretty exciting thing. If you're, if you're ever at one, it can get really, you know, cool to see drivers take that one last run to try to get pole position. And it, it can be really exciting. Um, but sprint qualifying races 
have been better as we've progressed with this. The big question would be, look, is the nature of this going to allow drivers to be really aggressive when the penalty can be really, really severe? Meaning if you're, if you're in sixth place in a Grand Prix and you see an opening to get P5, you go for P5, right? You, you go, listen, I'm a race car driver. I'm going to pick my battles. I see a gap. I'm taking the gap, right? But in a sprint race, when the penalty is sixth place, fifth place, just starting on the grid, do you take a dangerous opportunity? Well, and when I mean dangerous, like where you could risk damaging the car, not life-threatening, where you could risk th- damaging the car and having your mechanics work all night and finishing in the back of the grid. So that was the big concern. We saw some overtaking last year, and my opinion on sprint racing has really changed. I was very much against it. I didn't like it. It seemed really gimmicky. And I didn't think it was necessary. And I'm, I'm one, and I know formula one has had a lot of different ways that qualifying has worked, but to me, I, you know, they used to do the traditional go around the track a few times, and then you would just record a time and just kind of like NASCAR does at their tracks. But I think they hit a home run with the current format. I, I really do. I like it. I like, you know, the Q1, Q2, Q3. I love the element of cars getting into, you know, into out of the elimination zone. I didn't see anything wrong with it, but I do understand that when you want a little bit more of a high price ticket, you want to give the people something for that high price ticket. So they figure, Hey, why not give them a third of a race and then a full race for the weekend instead of Friday's practices. And if you go, it's like, all right. So I'm seeing formula one cars on a track, but now I can go Friday and see qualifying. I can see the sprint race as a result of that qualifying. And now I can see the Grand Prix as a result of the sprint race. So as long as we get incentive to be moving up and down the grid, I think the points was ridiculous when I first came out, when they were giving points to the top three, I'm old school. So forgive me. I think world championship points are valuable. I think they're important. I think they shouldn't be handed out like candy to these kind of events. I think when you earn a world championship point, it needs to be in the Grand Prix, but I've softened up a little bit, realizing really the only way to get the aggressiveness that you want in a sprint race is there's got to be a little bit of a, there's got to be more carrots on the end of the stick, if you know what I mean, right? I mean, look, all right, so I start fifth. Okay. But now if you're giving me a little bit more in the world championship points, maybe I will go for that gap. And I may risk putting my car in jeopardy, but it's worth it. I can get some world championship points. And if we're battling for, let's say, P6 and the constructors at the end of the season, these will be very, very valuable pieces en route to trying to obtain that if I'm a midfield team. So again, if you love sprint races, good. If you don't, well, you're getting them anyway. All right, this is the last thing, and I'm looking forward to in 2023. Well, it's not the last thing, but it's one of the top five. Red Bull versus Ferrari Part 2. So Max Verstappen, as I said earlier, overly dominant in 2022. It was almost silly. He was winning everything. It was getting kind of ridiculous. But it was a wave of what Red Bull wins when you combine the two that Sergio Perez had, right? Because he won in Monaco and in Singapore. But remember, earlier in the season, it was Ferrari's show. It was Charles Leclerc's show. I mean, he won the season opener at Bahrain. He came in second in Saudi Arabia. He finished first again in Australia. Had a 46-point lead over Max Verstappen. Red Bull was showing some reliability issues. Ferrari looked like they were having it dialed in. They knew that there would be Red Bull tracks, but they also knew that they were off to a great start to the season, and their car was really, really strong. 
But then two things happened. Red Bull got their act together and they started pouring out wins. Not only Max wins, right? But they also got two wins from Sergio Perez, Singapore and earlier in the year in Monaco. And then Ferrari just kept having trouble after trouble, almost became laughable. Memes were being made. Jokes were being made. They were, they were the kind of a laughing stock in motorsports about some of the silly things that were causing them to win races. Charles Leclerc starts from pole position in his hometown race in Monaco. They double stack, right? He, do, he doesn't win, right? He had reliability issues in Barcelona, both DNF in Baku. He has a huge lead. Leclerc has in France spins out. No reason whatsoever. They have poor, awful tire strategy in Hungary. They catch fire in Austria. Carlos Sainz car catches fire in Austria, right? All of a sudden there was, there was, if you, it was like the Ferrari bingo card, right? A whole bunch of reasons why you had a failure of a day and then and you would just check them off. And it wasn't one thing. It was multiple things. It was everything you could think of that could cost your team a chance at victory. It felt like Ferrari at some point had done, or the drivers had done, or the team strategists had done, whoever. Everyone wearing the red Ferrari shirt. Somebody was involved in something that made you go, oi. So now I want to see this again, but I'm hoping to see a better Ferrari and maybe a less dominating Red Bull, but I don't know about that. I don't know about that. All right, so those are the five things I'm watching for in the 2023 season. But in the end, I'm going to be watching it all. Any controversy that comes up, if we have a cap issue like we did last year. One of the best memories that I have of 2022 was that my son and I got to go to the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin. Uh, Formula One DHL was running a commentator contest. Um, I entered and I came. I was a runner-up finisher and they sent me and my son to the U.S. Grand Prix. And we just had a great, great weekend. And what I took away from it, being in Austin, Texas with 400,000 other people throughout the three days was how much formula one is really, really growing in the United States. Now I am a sports broadcaster. I have a talk show with the sports map radio network. I have a three hour daily show. I talk about the NFL, major league baseball, NBA, whatever's going on in the sports news, but there isn't a lot of formula one media presence in this country. And that's why I saw an opportunity two years ago with the increased popularity to sort of get in front of it. I've been a fan of motorsports for a long time, fan of formula one for a long time. And that's one of the reasons I created the, this podcast. I want to make it clear. If you, I don't care where you're listening to around the world, England, France, Spain, you're uh, anywhere in Europe, anywhere in Asia. I don't care. I'm never going to be an American centric broadcaster when it comes to F1. I'm not going to, but every now and then I do want to state what I'm feeling in this country and the sport is continuing to grow and grow and grow. So three races are on the calendar. And again, if you live anywhere else in the world, you might think that's too much for a country that doesn't appreciate formula one, like your country or your neighboring countries. And believe me, I get it. You put three races in Italy. Let's say you put one in Mugello. You got Imola. You got Monza. Nobody would bat an eye. They did it before. They'll do, if they did it again, no one would bat an eye. Three races in America. Well, it seems excessive given that this country hasn't been receptive to Formula One for years and years and years and years and years. And now all of a sudden it is. It's almost like the new kid at the party, right? I understand that, but this is the Liberty media strategy because they're seeing this sort of untapped market and they're trying to dive into it. And one of the reasons that I jumped aboard on this is I started noticing, boy, my friends were writing about formula one. My friends who'd never talked to motorsports or sports in general were commenting on formula one because they had caught the buzz with drive to survive. And then they were starting to become fans. 
There are athletes in the NFL who became fans. I saw a bunch of them. I have, I have, some have reached out to me knowing that I cover formula one to explain some things about formula one. But the reality of it is, is that this year is the most important year for American F1 fans because of those things that I mentioned. Drive to Survive continues to grow in popularity in this country. And as long as it's on Netflix and it's not going to be taken off and you can have access to it and you can get kickstarted on it right away, you didn't have to be, you, you can be a Johnny come lately when it comes to Drive to Survive, you're going to get fans. The second thing is now there's three races in America. American media is going to start really paying attention. It's going to ratchet up now. Once you start going to Las Vegas at the end of the season and the lights and the glitter, it's not going to get unnoticed. And the third thing is, Logan Sargent is on the grid, and this is a big deal. There have been a lot of F1 drivers on the grid, lots of them. There's been 57 of them since this sport started, 57 of them. Two of one championships, Mario Andretti and Phil Hill. The last one was Alexander Rossi in 2015. So this is no... This is to me, no disrespect from any American that ever got behind the wheel of an F1 car at any point, especially Mario Andretti, who's one of the most successful formula one drivers to, to be not only an American, but a, a successful driver in his own right. But you marry America's new enthusiasm with this sport, marry it with three races and Logan Sargent. He becomes one of the most important American motorsports figures that we have to see if he can do. Now we're not expecting podiums or, you know, or, or points finishes. That's not, I mean, most people are realistic about where Williams is. If you're, even if you're a new fan, you sort of get it, but it's a very, very important, important season for American sports fans. If Logan Sargent catches on, just if you become a new fan and you just jump on the American on the grid, he could really have a huge, huge following. Now, I don't know. Some people are just, I mean, it feels like everybody I meet is a Max Verstappen fan. I'm still clinging to Ferrari's golden years. Okay. So I'm still clinging to it, but I really do believe that this is the most important year for Americans, for, for the United States and its involvement in formula one with three things really going for it. All right. So that's the preview of the 2023 season. Uh, we got a lot to discuss throughout the year because we know there'll be some issues that'll pop up and we will address it on this podcast next week. We're going to have our Bahrain preview. We'll go over the circuit, things to watch out for and kind of give you whatever news and notes are popping up in formula one. So be on the lookout for that. Once again, please subscribe, please share this with your friends who are, in, if you're, if your friends are interested in formula one, we're trying to really grow it this year. I'm really, really excited about where, the Overtake F1 podcast is heading and I want to thank all of you for making it so. Alright, I'm Tony Desiri. We'll see you next week for a preview of Bahrain, the season opener. This is the Overtake F1 podcast.